As we near the midpoint of Ron Zimmerman's comic book career, we take a dip into the assorted one-shots and backup stories he wrote before he left the industry with a whimper. This week, we're dishing on Spider-Man's Tangled Web number 13, Marvel Knight's Punisher number 8, Spider-Man's Sweet Charity, Startling Stories The Thing, and the first ever team-up between Spider-Man and Jay Leno, and not to mention the prelude to Get Craven in one night only. And trust me, dear listener, when I tell you that not all of it is bad. But the stuff that's bad? Well, the only way we can possibly get across how bad it is, is by screaming. Oh God, it burns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Ron Zimmerman, where we're going over all of Ron Zimmerman's uh, Marvel Comics oeuvre, which also happened to be his entire comics oeuvre, because uh, almost no one wanted to hire him for comics after this. Gee, I wonder why. So uh, this is our fourth installment right now. We're going into some scattered one-shots of this one. So uh, he, after covering Raw High Kid, Get Craven, Raw High Kid, Sensational Seven, we're now getting down to just a couple scattered things that he did for Marvel. And we are going to be listing them off in order of, oh yeah, to, oh no. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and kick this one off. My name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And this is, oh God, it burns. All right, Bruno, so we're going to go ahead and kick this one off with probably not only the best of this bunch, but I think the best thing that Ron Zimmerman has ever written for comics, and also, honestly, kind of one of my favorite stories from my youth. I can't believe I'm saying that. Well, it's one of the few times he actually got the characterizations right, so that's a big difference for all of his other writing. It wasn't just a bunch of pointless jokes. Um, It was a great story. It Reading that actually reminded me of the um, Batman animated series, that which is still my favorite episode of the series. I almost got them, where the pl- villains are all sitting around the table mm-hmm. and just sharing like how they almost beat Batman stories. Yep. And you know, there's like that one scene where the, the Killer Croc comes in and he's like, how, "And how did you get him? I threw a rock at him. It was a big rock." And that's how it goes. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, it's such a groaning thing outside of it, but within the context of that story, it works. So Ron Zimmerman's humor within the context and framework of the, this particular Tangled Web series and like the environment he set up just works because it's literally people just explaining how like you know their day as a villain, and that is just works so well with his over the top characterizations of characters so like bruno just said number one on our all yeah was tangled web number 13 written by ron zimmerman art by sean phillips title was called double shot Mm -hmm. and this took place in the bar with no name and there were quite a few like interesting cameos that were in this but it wasn't like schlocky ron zimmerman cameos where they would just kind of come in we'll talk about some of that later there will be schlocky cameos later (laughs) i guarantee it this episode is nothing but (laughs) schlocky cameos especially when we get down to the oh no (laughs) this list it's gonna get bad guys but this one pulled it off really really well and in a series like tangled web where almost everything that was published in there was really good from Garth Ennis's first one with John McCrea, actually, who I did not care for his art and Get Craven, but he actually worked really well on that uh, Thousand story. Uh, and we come up to Tangle Web number 13, and it keeps the, the one-shot tradition alive where Spider-Man is just like a looming presence in everyone's life. Bar with no name, there's a mysterious guy in a trench coat and a hat, 
and he's sitting down and he's just talking to the vulture. Al Craven walks in and like they just kind of recount their days fighting the superheroes and at the end of it we get like one hell of a shocker too. Um, yeah, I mean, it comes down to, like, these are just guys meeting up after work, and they're talking about their work week, uh, explaining the perils of what it's like in the, uh, business, you know, swapping stories, uh, Crave, uh, was it, Vulture comes in talking about how miserable he had it, and he's trying to just hit on any female, which yep. is great, because it's almost a prequel to get Crave. No, it is a prequel. Like, I mean, this is where Alan Timby started checking up. But it's it, yeah, and everything but name. It is absolutely a prequel to it because you know it's first interaction between the Vulture and um, Al, and Al just talks about his many conquests, um, and you know they talk about people just like you would have shop talk. It's like mm-hmm. oh, do you think that the guys and uh, do you think that there should be hookups between people in this industry? It's like uh, yeah, I don't think that would work. Well, what about this? Um, the Black Widow. Yeah, like, who and he's going down. Like, you don't want to hear me talk about my adventures with Melissa, Alyssa Milano. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets cut off, but he just throws out like it's all very like sexist shop talk. Type. It's it's locker room. It's definitely it, and it it's works here. Room. It yeah. works here because Ron Zimmerman does dip into the blue humor from time to time in his works. But this is like it's it's. I feel like every conversation he has in all of his comics, it has that same beat to it, where it's just like guys throwing like insults at one another but this is the first comic that the entire comic is dedicated to that so he actually has time to flesh it out and it actually reads really nicely like i kind of get an idea of his uh how he would be like writing sitcoms which is what he came from yeah and then there's also the concept of who is that man in the trench coat that just you know fits into this bar with no name because i mean you you walk in and there's stilt men and mm-hmm. whirlwind playing pool yeah and getting mad at one another They're talking about like how's he still wearing that helmet yeah. like, oh, i must have a really strong neck <laughs> <laughs> which isn't a great joke in itself but it kind of works but it works here because you would ask like why on his off night like after coming into a bar with it why would he still be wearing that giant like garbage pail of a helmet yeah. why is everyone not wearing a trench coat and a hat just to kind of like shove their identity but there's a reason he's wearing the hat because it covers the most recognizable part of him that is absolutely true <laughs> which we'll get to in just a little bit um and yeah so they're just sitting there talking shop and explaining how bad they've had a week and it's all because of him and the him in question being that this is called tangled web is spider-man it's their interactions mm-hmm. uh with spider-man except for Al, who fights the human torch in this one no he fought spider-man too was Spider-Man? it spider-man no, no he fought it started off Really funny, which by the way, this there is a tie back to this to one of these one shots later yep. that I'll mention too. But he starts off with these Barton Bartone families. I just keep reading Barton because that's like yep. clip. But um, the Bartone family, these guys are like, uh, yeah, your dad did a job for us and he stiffed us on this jewel and we want our money back. And he's like, my dad's dead. Take it up with him. Uh-huh. So he just starts fighting these guys and the Human Torch comes up. And he's like, ah, I knew you were no good, Craven Jr. I'm going to put you down. He's like, there's one of me and six of them. How am I the bad guy here? <laughs> so he just starts getting fights. He's like, all right, if you want to throw down, we're going to throw down. So he beats the crap out of the Human Torch. And sure enough, Spidey comes in. He's like, you know, he's not my favorite person in the world, but you can't go around beating up superheroes. <laughs> so it's like he starts fighting with uh, Spidey. And sure enough, the Human Torch comes up. And between <clears throat> the two of them, they capture raven uh craven and he uh gets locked up but he's rich so he, just, so he buys his way out of jail. he buys his way out and sleeps with his like 
a public defender. <laughs> yeah. Sleeps with a public defender. Now he's sleeping with Timby, who's like the love of his life. And, and uh, it kind of goes on to, like, my, I think my favorite one was the Vulture one. Yeah. Which, this is the most Ron Zimmerman he got in yeah. this one, where he's just, like, with the quips and everything. Like, he's he's really got a knack for super schlocky, just, like, bad jokes. And usually it's a groaner, but in the context of it, where Vulture was talking about how bad of a, like, he was talking about how bad the quips are. He's like, you know what the worst thing about fighting superheroes is? Is that all those stupid jokes they're telling. And they it's just like rapid fire. Up. It's the worst line and of it, jokes. And it's talking like, about ball jokes, just, everything. Just constant barrage of ball jokes. And what's really great is that his... I think that the vulture really is Ron Zimmerman's spirit animal. Yeah. Because he writes the vulture the same throughout the whole time. He's like a dude that's just god-awful ugly but doesn't think he's ugly. So you think so Ron Zimmerman has hair plugs? Uh, probably. Because <laughs> he's just like... He, uh, Vulture comes in and tries to hit on Timby, and he's like, uh, uh, I could have had her if I want her. It's like, you couldn't have her if you had a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how that works. Look at, look at you. Look, 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 look at, at her. her. Look at you. <laughs> you fugly. You fuck ugly. Go ahead. And it was really funny that the guy in the trench coat, too, was like really getting into it, too. He was like, yeah, fuck you, Adrian. Like, <laughs> like, you see yourself, you ugly troll? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you should go be living under a bridge change your name to the troll not the vulture yeah this keeps going bad and then to, talking about how just Spider-Man constantly berates him as he's beating the crap out of him <laughs> and he gets away by just like smashing a gate and letting these chickens run wild uh. to distract <laughs> Spider-Man because he didn't know that there were farms in New oh, Jersey oh yeah that's right it was just like how'd you get rid of him oh it was the chickens <laughs> and it, when he says it it's like something like does this old motherfucker just like dropping random words right now yeah <laughs> like no where there were chickens what's like, really weird though is like, is like and they flew the coop and I'm like but they don't fly <laughs> so like, I don't think you know how chickens work Ron Zimmerman <laughs> so Spider-Man is wrestling up some chickens <laughs> for some nice old lady <laughs> he's doing a Zelda quest <laughs> and uh and the, the vulture fl- flew the coop and didn't get away with any money but didn't go to jail so so at the end of this one it, it works out like it ends on this terrifying note yeah. which actually this was released at I believe at the same time of the Spider-Man movie yeah and I know that because this was the first one that had the World Trade Center like love symbol mm-hmm. on the front page which coincided with the movie yeah so it's just like all that stuff was happening. So I'm like, okay, cool. So this is like the height of Norman Osborn, like oversaturation. <laughs> so you got that whole thing where at the end he takes off his hat and he's just like, so what do you do? It's like, well, I got really personal with him. It's a little different. I don't get the quips. Yeah, I don't which, get the quips. Which kind of like the first thing is like, I, I don't get the quips when I fight him. I'm a little more personal. I was like, well, we all get personal with him. I was like, nah. Not like not I did. Not like I did. And he starts talking about like, well thing I did that really stepped over the line was he did something to make me mad so I kidnapped his girlfriend and killed Killed her her. right in front of him and then he takes off the hat and you see the Norman Osborn hair unmistakable Norman Osborn hair and an end scene where he just puts a pumpkin on the table and walks out and then he and then he hops off it, yep. on the glo- uh, the goblin glider and takes off <clears throat> laughing. Yep, and um, it's not a bomb. I don't no. see that. You don't see a blow up. It's more like a. It's just never like, forget who I am. Yeah, like it's like this is who you should always be afraid of is me. But one thing I want to say about this before we move into our recommendation is that uh, I feel like one of the reasons this works so well is it's got art by Sean Phillips. Yeah, and Zimmerman's gotten really, really great. Like 
lucky to work with that, as many talents as he's gotten to work with, but Sean Phillips works so well for him, and I feel like it's almost like, um, you know, when you watch Airplane, we ever hear the, the Zuckers start talking about how they structured their comedies. Like, you want a really, really straight guy for your comedy. That's how they ended up with Leslie Nielsen, who was a straight comedy actor, who's a straight uh, drama, drama actor he was, he was for a very long time. Yeah. And now you have Sean Phillips, who's drawing everything in here like it's a regular comic. And it's like a really good pulp comic. And then it's like tempering down Ron Zimmerman's more outlandish elements. And it's really, really good. Like, I can't imagine this being drawn by anyone else and it's still having the impact. Even though the writing was spot on, which is almost uncharacteristic of Ron, <laughs> of Ron Zimmerman. Yeah, um, I honestly thought this was definitely one of the best uh, characterization stories for Norman Osborn. It definitely establishes him as like Spider-Man's Joker. Yeah, um, I remember right around the time that this came out, when Wizard Magazine was a thing, and it was a, basically a battle for who was the creepiest villain. And I know that the Joker won out because of the crazy, but I was like. If you take it to the hero that's got the the villain's got the biggest grudge, it's definitely Norman Osborn. Yeah, no, he's personal. And like, and like he doesn't play. It's like, well, yeah, you guys get to do the quips and he punches you guys and he goes, but with me, I, it's never fun. Yeah, like it. When I, 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 I turn Spider Man into someone that Spider Man isn't. Yeah. like he's usually a happy go lucky guy, but every time I'm there, like it's a serious affair. And it's it is so just like it's chilling just to see Norman Osborn like hit so well by this writer that I'm like wasn't expecting it from. Yeah. But yeah, so this one was the all yeah of the bunch and actually the best of Ron Zimmerman's whole uh, Marvel Comics uh, bibliography. Probably one of my favorite in this whole series, Tangled Web. Yeah. But uh, right now we're going to go ahead and get to our recommendations for this one too for Tangled Web 13. If you really like this one, uh, which I, you should. <laughs> There's no reason you shouldn't no, like this one. No, uh, I, we would wholeheartedly recommend that you go back and read the entire Tangle Web series. It starts off with the thousand, which is definitely one of my favorite takes on it. Isn't that uh, one where? Uh, that's the one where uh, there's a the, the same field trip that Peter Parker went. Yeah. and got bit by the reactive spider. But instead of turning into Spider-Man, he turns into a literal thousand well, it, it turns of out that a Peter Parker had... You always thought that Peter Parker was the underdog, but for every underdog, there's an under-underdog. Yeah. So there was a guy that wishes he was Peter Parker, and when he saw that he got bit, he put two and two together, and he's like, well, why him? Why not me? So when he went back and tried to find the spider to get bit, well, the spider, as we know, when it bit Peter, died. Mm. So what did he do? He took the spider and he ate it. That's He was so desperate <laughs> to become Spider-Man that having known he couldn't be bit by the spider, he ate the spider himself. And that mm. had a very unique, uh, as only comic books would, reaction on him. And he actually, well, you should probably read the story to find yeah. out how it changes him. But it's great because the whole first uh, couple of issues is all about basically how Spider-Man elicits such a jealous response. Because everyone's always used to, you know, life crapping on Spider-Man. But here's a guy who sees, like, no, he has it great, and I want that. And how far he'll go to get that. And uh, I love that. Well, yeah, in addition to that, too, like, after the thousand, it's like a murder's row of, like, classic stories. Not starring Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like a shadow figure in the whole thing. You get Kingpin's Severance Package written by Greg Rucker... Art by Eduardo Risso, which is an instant classic when you got that yeah. one. Followed up by Peter Milligan and Duncan Fergredo doing Flowers for Rhino. It was the pinnacle of that whole series. That was so good. That's my favorite story. I used it in my classes. I would illegally download it <laughs> and show it to my kids. Uh, and be, when we were doing uh, Flowers for Algernon, and uh, it, the, 
it just the went over so well. so well. It was so good. And then after that, you got like a Bruce Jones, uh, Lee Week story, uh, where it's just like this guy is kind of like dealing with some stuff. I can't remember what it was, but I remember it was good. But then there was Car Andrews did like this really good one about like this kid who's involved in like Spider-Man fighting the Electro. Then there's I Was a Teenage Frogman by Zeb Wells, which I think was Zeb Wells, like one of the first things that he wrote for him. Darwin Cook did a couple like Christmas theme and Valentine's Day ones. And then we had this and it just kind of like kept rolling and rolling and rolling. You just reminded me right now. I'm trying to remember the issue. Spider Bite. It was in the in the, the newer series. That's number five. Friendly no. Neighborhood Spider-Man 5. Friendly Neighborhood F and Spider-Man 5. F and Spider-Man 5. <laughs> Volume two, I'm so, number five. I mean, Tangled Web itself only ran for a few of twenty-two issues, but if there was a uh, if there was a twenty-third issue, it would be Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number five, yeah, which is just heartbreaking and mm. so good. So that would be my other recommendation if you like this kind of thing and it's a little bit more current. Is uh, Friendly Neighborhood number five with introducing Spider Bite, Spider-Man's newest protege. Mm-hmm. And with that, we're going to go on to our okay, okay, <laughs> okay. okay. It's, we're starting to go down the poop shoot, but not quite that soon. We're going to uh, Punisher number eight, the Marvel com, uh, the, the Marvel Knights Banner Punisher yeah. number eight. This is actually the third volume or the fourth volume that had Marvel Comics Punisher on it because the first two we'll definitely get to them. Uh, yes, the Ghost Punisher, the Angel of Death. Oh dear God! And then Garth Ennis came back for a twelve issue maxi series, which was amazing. Yeah. And then he also came back for like the first seven six issues, and then there's a silent issue by Steve Dillon, and then how they follow up Garth Ennis. Let's go ahead and throw Ron Zimmerman in this to keep it rolling. And he didn't drop the ball on this one. No, he no, he didn't. It was definitely <clears throat> a unique Punisher tale. But I think just because of who the writer was, you didn't question it too much until the end. And then it had a very nice wrap-up. It was kind of cheesy, but it was yeah. definitely a very nice wrap-up. It didn't seem like it quite fit. Like, the first bit you're wa- listening to it or watching it, it's like, okay, so the Punisher is tangled up in these mob people, and he finds out that, like, they're connected to the Capones, yeah. and somehow that ended up with the murder of his family, so he talks to Reed Richards, he goes back in time, and he ends up taking on all of Scarface's gang. And he does it by trying to get in with them. He's, like, causing a bunch of murders around the underworld, trying to get into uh, Curry favor with Al Capone and when he finally gets in like he starts like just destroying everything yeah and then they're on to him so <clears throat> they invite him out to a dinner uh, the dinner and it's all the uh, other people oh the, the famous uh, Robert De Niro baseball bat dinner yep and he goes to town on everyone saving the Punisher for the end uh, and he's like, yeah, you didn't think I spotted you. You're just too good at killing. I could see you being a problem in my future. Uh, the great thing about this issue as a whole <clears throat> is that it's such a departure. Like, if you're following the series, and I mean, yes, they took the, uh, the silent issue, which in and of itself was a gimmick, but that was running throughout. All. That was that was the Nuff Said Nuff initiative said, that went yeah, through it. Where the entire, every, yeah. for the whole month, every issue of your favorite series had no dialogue. It was just mm-hmm. artwork, which was great. Well, depending on the artist, really. Yeah. But um, so it's kind of weird that the follow-up was all of a sudden he <clears throat> finds out some information that ties us back to this gangster of the 1920s. He talks to all the Marvel superheroes, you know, starting with Nick Fury and working his yeah. way down. And Which he, in itself is pretty odd because when Garth Ennis took over, every single hero was a joke, starting yeah. with Daredevil, going on to Spider-Man being knocked out by a Russian half-cyborg with giant boobs. <laughs> like, uses a punching bag. So it, it was definitely an odd characterization to see him suddenly, like, 
pulling all the stops and it made it i think it added a bit of gravitas to it because like what could he possibly be doing uh, that he needs a time machine that he's calling in these favors and they're not trying to be like no you're going to jail yeah and then they're like well we can send you back but we can't send you back with any artillery he's like ah, i'll get used to it i'll be fine and he i'll find makes, my way around a tommy gun and, and he, he makes does. do he does <laughs> Um, and then come to find out, at, well, it was really great. I love that one line in there where he's just like, wow, Reed really did it. We weren't sure it was going to work. You know what? He might be too smart for his own good. When I get back, I'll have to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, okay. And you gave the guy, uh, you gave, that's like giving the son of Sam the keys of the DeLorean there. Yeah. So it was just kind of odd, but he manages to go ahead and uh, complete his mission. And right as like you were expecting this big punchline to happen, it cuts to and Punisher's laying on his little military cot. Yep. And the story is when the Punisher finally rests. Yeah. And it's basically when the Punisher, what we would consider a nightmare, the Punisher calls a good dream. So he's fighting and brawling and kills Compone. And he has a good night's rest. Because he saved his family by going back in history to kill the chain that ended up destroying them. Yeah. And And this one is not devoid of its uh, references, too. There's a lot of, like, Bugs Moran. Like, he lists off everyone who was killed in all of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Like, he just, like, reference, 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 reference. He really did his homework on this one. Yeah. Well, he's he's great with the references. That's one thing that (laughs) Zimmerman never misses a chance on. And that's to drop a reference in the middle of something. But these were actually on point. But these were, like... Like, they weren't pulled out of nowhere. Well, here's the thing. These also worked better because it was already a matter of history. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a pop culture thing that no one's going to remember in a little bit. Yeah. Which, it was what he fell victim to later on in this episode. But it was, like... When he mentioned them, it had a grot. It was like, oh, yeah, that was a St. Valentine's Day massacre. And, yeah, it does get a little bit more to it. But there was another thing that I really liked in this, too, where Punisher actually opened up to somebody and kind of, like, told him a little bit about a story and was just like, listen, you got to quit this life. And he was double-checking himself. He's like, you can't open up to anybody. Yeah, Frank, I, I you can't open up to anybody. And I was like, that's a little uncharacteristic, but knowing where the story was going, like, I can totally see a subconscious trying to save something. Yeah. So this was a good story. This is our okay? Yeah, it was okay. Okay, okay. Was, good uh, on you, Ron. It was okay. And this I, is up there with the first Rawhide Kid. Like, he pulled off a, it's just a dream. Yeah. Wow. Like, not, more often than not, that, it's just a dream, bites you in the back. Almost, like, that trope is so used and so bad that most of the time people are like, oh, growing is just a dream. But he pulled it off. This one did it well. And that that's definitely worthy of an okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And as for our uh, recommendations, like, you can't just go wrong with anything from Garth Ennis' run. I'm going to say that right now. You go ahead and pick up Garth Ennis' 12-issue maxi series that kicked it off. Welcome back, Frank. You had Army of One, which had the Russian from... Welcome back, Frank. Come back with a cyborg with giant. And I mean, boobs. if you if you love humor, the Russian throughout <clears throat> his appearance when he comes back as the cyborg with the boobs. Yeah, and he's just always happy. Mm-hmm. But like, he just plays so well against the dark that is the Punisher. Yeah, but I feel like if you really want a good Punisher story that kind of visits like a different time era, you've got quite a few that Garth Ennis was doing. But the thing that was my favorite one, more than Born, was uh, Punisher Tiger Tiger or Tiger. I think it was just Tiger. It was, it was Tiger. A, a playoff of uh, the Sir William Blake, I think his name was. Uh, Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright, Burning, and, yeah. on the, and it went back to him as a youth, and it was telling like his story kind of growing up in the city and like stuff that hardened him before he was even the Punisher. 
So I f- thought that was really, really classic, and that was on the Marvel Max banner. So good. Uh, but yeah, there are so many other things. You could spit <laughs> at a Marvel Max Punisher series, and any issue you pick up is going to just knock your ass off. You know what series I really liked? It was as kind of a one-shot Pun- uh, Punisher kills the Marvel Universe. Did Garth Ennis did that? I, I'm, that was I, Garth Ennis' first thing that I, he did I, for Marvel. I think that was his first one. And it, yeah. was, it was a great one-shot. Was just, mm-hmm. I think Doug Braithwaite did the art for that. Yeah. Because um, it was just non-canon. It was um, the Punisher loses his family, but it's in the midst of this time like a superhero scrap. Yep. And instead of going after the mob, he just goes after these costume people. And every... Um, like, he uses Spider-Man's own sense of, like, saving people, and, like, he loads up dummies with C4. Um, he just manages to keep constantly taking it up. And then there's all these people that are victims of, of these superheroes, like, you know, the people that damage control usually helps, but they didn't, couldn't do anything for them. Like, people that, like, in the middle of a firefight, you know, between the thing, got stuck in a crushed car and are paraplegic. So they bankroll the Punisher, um... And he proceeds to go through all of them, leading to his the last rival, which is Captain America, which is basically, if the Punisher is the exterminator of the Marvel Universe, this is the poster child of all superheroes. And it's just this battle between two different philosophies, and Garthine has got it down right. So Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and give that one anything from Garth Ennis. <laughs> you go ahead, pick it up. Yeah. It's good. I think they're like one or two stories. I'm not going to get into them, though. <laughs> just fucking go for it. <laughs> and now we're going down our spiral just a little bit further. This is where we hit our first... Yeah. The first bump in the row, we're going to... Eh! We're going to Startling Stories, The Thing. Yeah. So, bro, would you mind giving us a rundown of what exactly was Startling Stories? Um, well, it, it, to be honest with you, with the Startling Stories, I, I think they was trying to start, like, another uh, banner... Kind of like in the wake of because Marvel Knights was getting it, yeah. Like Ultimates was kind of big. I think Max was dying out like there because well, Max wasn't dying out for a little bit. Like Max had a decent run for a while, but I don't think they were. I don't think they were adding anything to the Marvel Max banner. I think at this point they were happy with their flagships and they weren't expanding, Mm -hmm. so they needed to do another, you know, kind of a selling point. So this is just basically. Whenever they come out with a Marvel thing, um, I mean, Ultimates took on a life of its own, but a lot of the Marvel Knights and Marvel mm-hmm. Max was just trying to push new creators out the door or a new type of storytelling that people would know this is not the same yeah. stuff as the other thing. This is basically like the springboard for what Marvel would become. This is yeah. like their sandbox. Yeah. So, right? um, so, so we started off with Starling Stories. I think the first one that came out was Banner. Yeah. With four issues by Brian Azzarello. Uh, Richard Corbin, where like the whole thing is Banner's trying to kill himself, but every time he tries to kill himself, he turns into the Hulk. So it's just like you start to see there's just like really, really dark stories, but they're not so dark that they need to be in the the Max imprint. But they're also kind of a little bit out of continuity, so they probably don't need merit the uh, the Marvel Knights nice imprint. Part. Yeah, they, they they weren't new takes. They were just kind of like stories that played with the characters uh, but pushed the boundaries a bit yeah. but not to the point where there's just like excessive gore or violence so they wanted it to be like listen if you're tired of the same old stuff read these startling stories um, it'll startle you it'll startle you <laughs> and then uh, were you startled at all reading the thing no no this no. was this was very boring yes. I felt like and here's the thing like it's boring 
Like, I feel like I could just not... I don't remember much of anything from this. Aside from the fact that, like... The whole thing starts off where Nick Fury goes to see the thing about doing this job. And the thing's like, Oh, man, I was gonna go hit on some girls. Like, which I was is, gonna go to the beach and hit on some girls. Which is really weird, considering that, like, later in the issue, he's talking about how happy he is with Alicia. Yeah. And how great things are. But then he's like, I was gonna go out with the Human Torch, or he was gonna go talk to some babes. I was gonna be his wingman. Yeah. And I was just like, okay. It's like, first of all, no wingman that looks like a giant fucking rock monster has ever been a good wingman. No, no. (laughs) Not unless you're, like, dating on Monster Island or something. Yeah, unless you're you're the literal Dwayne the Rock Johnson. (laughs) In which case, you might get something. I don't know, like, it started off with, like, it was like Guido's night out, like, basically. (laughs) He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt the entire time, too. Uh, And and Mm. so Nick Fury is like, no, this has to be you. And he's like, but, but, no, so he tries to con, like, he's like, hey, guess what, uh, we got a mission from Nick Fury, he's like, you know, normally I wouldn't ask, but how about you join me on this uh, one? See ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what he gets from the Human Torch, he's like, uh, so you want me to go on a mission with Nick, no, I heard Nick Fury, I'm out, I'm going with the girls. Yep. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, uh, having been pieced out by his other wingman, he decides to go to this mission, which takes him to a military base. Which he treats this guy that he's partnered up with like shit. Yeah, like he meets, he goes to the military base. He's like, listen, you better not bore me. <laughs> he's like, he's like ripping into this poor guy it, who's like assigned to be with him, a military man. It's it's kind of like, it's, it's well, it's like the running joke. It's like, well, fine, I'm here. And he's like, this better not be boring. But he's just a complete jerk to this He's being a jerk. It doesn't bad. sound like Ben Grimm no. at all. Like, even back in this day, like, when, like, I know Ben Grimm had a lot of, like, uh, growing up and character development through this and then even this was like kind of like the dark part of Marvel's Fantastic Four where it's just like I think this was like the Claremont was ended it up yeah. Jeff Loeb was starting and I can't remember how that went but I know it was just a very like stagnant series Yeah. and this Ben Grimm seemed like he had no heart to him no, he, he was just like super self-absorbed and into it the, the, the reason I definitely said Guido's Night Out <clears> is because <throat> it literally plays like um Vince Vaughn's character in Swing and Swingers, yep. where he's just a one-dimensional. I'm the best thing in the room, and he tells three stories about how he's the best thing. How yeah. he spanked the Wrecker's ass with his own crowbar. Yeah, that's literally the start-off story. <laughs> is there's this the guy that he's been treating like crap. He's like, oh, you want to hear some good stories about me? And he's just like, won't be impressed. The guy's having like an identity crisis. Like, uh, I'm here and I do my job, but like, I don't think I'm very good at it. And like, what do I have to compete with? When there's guys like you that can, like, break me in half, like, what am I doing here? And the guy's like, hey, it's all about your heart. Here, let me tell you some stories that have nothing to do about heart and tell you how good I am. So it starts off like the first battle was him and the Wrecker going mano a mano, and he, not kidding, literally spanks the Wrecker. (laughs) Well, you don't see it. It's off panel. But the last panel you see of that is the Wrecker laying down with his face in the ground and his ass sitting up presenting himself but he definitely said i gave him a good spanking and yeah like he did not like and he was just like you guys might want to turn away before you see the spanking of the century then he yeah. comes up with a paddle and just like just goes raw on this guy <laughs> and then he's just and then it cuts to and is like his reasoning for telling that story is like i was clearly out of my class with this cosmic powered guy but uh you know i had a heart and I was like, in cosmic power. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, like, 
the wrecker is on par with him as far as power levels go. Yeah. Like, I don't know where he got the idea. If it was the whole wrecking crew, maybe, but just mm-hmm. the wrecker himself, yeah. he's never been able to not take on the Well, wrecker. that crowbar's got mystic powers. Dude. Yeah, like, so, like, <laughs> the fact that, like, at one point it, like, knocked him out. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like, and then the next one, he goes on to it, and he's just like, yeah, then there was that one time I went to a tillin, I got with Medusa, but not really, because I got a wife. Yeah, like, <laughs> or not a wife yet. And not a wife I yet. I got a girlfriend. Like, but he, he, he goes to, apparently, as is the way, the U.S. Army is trying to blow up Adelon yet again, because uh, those pesky humans, it's like, apparently the U.S. Army has nothing better to do than just like... Yeah, blow up new nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just goes there and shows up, gets in a fight with Gorgon. And like the only thing that was kind of great in there was like the little Abbott and Costello running sketch with, between like, Karnak and-, and Triton, where they're like, "Hey, he's fighting. Should we bust that up? Yeah, give it a minute." Uh, Gorgon like, needs his ass kicked. And then like, and then Medusa would come out. It's like they're fighting. You should break that up. Oh, we were just about to, but you got it first. <laughs> uh, By the way, Medusa shows up looking nice. Yes, looking nice. And all of a sudden, she's like, "Here, Ben, let me talk to you." And she's like, "You know, you're really kind, and I appreciate those big muscles of yours." And I have the feeling that if I didn't marry back Black Bolt in another life, you could motorboat these titties. Yeah, like, <laughs> like it was it was such bad for someone who's literally joined the Frightful Four. She was part of the Fantastic Four. She's too, part of the she? Fantastic Four. She's been known uh, at the time for being a figurehead for like feminist movement where she's like, Yeah, I may have a king who can like speak and blow up your face, but I'm the voice of the Inhumans. Mm-hmm. And she just turned herself into like some like wistful dame from like the yeah. old movies. Like, oh, your big muscles. Then they get really close and like, hug each other. It's like, like hugging and he's like, I felt the boobs. <laughs> put, put those rocks against my rocks. I was like, I, I definitely could have gotten some, but you know, I'm an honest man. You I know, got I got my got, wife at home. Not got, quite wife. I got Alicia. She won't be my wife until 2018, but who gives a shit? So like, he's just bragging about how he could have had some, but he did the honorable thing. Mm. And then Black Bolt walks in and just like doesn't even say a word, which is a type for his character. Just and then and, and beats the crap out of him. Wait, wait, no. He doesn't beat the crap out of him because we never see anyone get the crap beat out of him. It was the Abbott and Costello routine. Like, man, they're really fighting. Huh? Yeah. That was two pages of, yeah. <laughs> of really Karnak fighting. and Triton going back and forth about how badly they're beating each other up. And then at the end, Thing was just like, you know what? I think I lost count. Sucker punches uh, Black, Black Bolt, Bolt, and then Black Bolt just gut punches him really hard. And then they're like, Medusa comes in, it's like, they're fighting. Oh, yeah, we're just about to break it up, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then like, she's like, yeah, that was that time I almost got Medusa. That was it. That was the whole point of that story. <laughs> was to talk about how he almost got Medusa. Because he didn't resolve any of the conflict. He just got, it was like Ben, ben Grimm, the homewrecker. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you get to the last story, which is like, like a a woman abuse like a pregnant yeah, that, lady that one abuse. actually was that one actually like it it resonated a bit but it was like, so late in like this this story is like 50 pages long dude yeah like n- not i got all... so out of it by the time i got here and before i know it like blastar shows up it starts beating the shit out of a pregnant sue storm because he's like you think that really he's slapping her around no, he, his whole mission for coming there like he wasn't was to like, kill her and the pup like like the, the rest of the fantastic four we're in the negative we're zone. in the negative zone with the avengers with the avengers and the thing was left behind with watching over a now pregnant sue storm and thanks to some mess miss up by reed 
um, they were able to Blaster was able to use his powers to figure out how to get into the the wormhole that they used to the negative zone and he comes in with two other blaster lights which I've never really seen him I've never seen them I've either. never seen them before I thought again was, I'm not I'm not a big like cosmic uh, Marvel fan he too, was, so. he's always known as the last of his kind like his only one and all of a sudden it's like he's lead blaster and then there's two mini blasters behind them but their whole thing was like you think we're gonna let you and reed have a baby you think we're gonna let you guys breed after you kick our butt so many times no we're here to kill you Mm -hmm. and it got dark so it's like two stories like the first one he's got it's all about how much of a pounding he can put on someone second one is all about how much of it like how much of a like lover he is that he can pull a freaking queen away from a king so when you get to the third one, you don't have any emotional investment. You're like, here comes another grown story. It's a gross, stupid story. And then it's no. This it, is where the startling story was. That's like, what. That's the that, the, the whole part. thing should have been this story. Yeah, like, that's the part that was startling. Like honestly, this whole thing should have been that one story because these three blasters, which presumably all have the same power level, proceed to like smash him through a wall, bury him under like part of the the room that he's in. And proceed to try to kill Sue Storm, who is pregnant, and like you know, the strain of trying to both save Ben and herself is doing her in. There's and one scene where she's knocked unconscious, and Blastar is like holding her by the neck, neck yeah, and just like staring at Ben Grimm, like, yeah, you think you can stop this? I'm here to snap her neck. And then he just comes in and just proceeds to be like, "If you harm her, I will kill you," and just goes to town knocks out the two mini blasters mm-hmm. and goes pound for pound just beating the crap out of blaster and sends him back on his way to the negative zone like took the beating of a lifetime to save not even his girl but his friends yeah girl, he would have died baby. to make sure that and then, like i like at the end too where she asked him it was just like didn't you think for any for even a minute that you would have gotten kills like Susie, all i was thinking about was you weren't going to get killed yeah like i don't care about myself i need to save you and the baby like so i thought that was really touching and that was the startling story yeah. I don't think we needed to go through 35 pages <laughs> no, to get to this one. And then you're like, 35 pages, like, throwaway Fantastic Four stories, frankly. It's like stuff that was sitting in a drawer that, yeah. like, like, they took out. Then we got to this, and you're like, this is what this imprint should be about. And then and it's then like, it it's over as soon as it starts, and then it cuts, and surprise, the big mission that they're there for is Nick Fury sent uh, the thing to the desert. To intercept to, the Hulk. Just intercept the Hulk. So the Hulk's And he just sends in. the guy that he's been talking shit to and suddenly, like, kind of warms up to him. He's like, like oh, yeah, thank you for listening to me. Like, you need to go back, like, way back, like, five miles back down the road. Hey, listen, tell the- everyone how fucking cool I am. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But I'm here to meet my friend, and uh, he's a coming. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they're babes. Yeah. <laughs> but don't tell Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that said, uh, that is our. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, like, yeah. God, I. I remembered more as I was talking about it, but like it was such a blank slate. It was just too. The problem was was too long. It was too long, and the the first two stories were not good. And Ben Grimm's characterization through most of it was not good. No, no. So when it got to the end, like, what the hell was I supposed to do? If you're going to read anything, just read that last story, and you'll be okay. Yeah, that sucker punch at the end was great, but like Mm -hmm. everything else up to it was just awful. Um. Yeah, it would have probably been a whole lot better if they had just cut out and either and just kept that one story yeah. and then here's the Hulk. So here we go. Going into our recommendations for this one, uh, Starling Story is the thing. Instead of reading this, or at least like read this and read the very last part of it, that's all you need to read. The thing that you should be reading is another Startling Stories. Now, 
The Thing has been in three startling stories once. There's this one, which is just The Thing. There's Unstable Molecules, which is really good, with uh, art by Guy Davis, and I can't remember who exactly did it, but it was played like these are like the family that the Fanta- like Stanley based the Fantastic Four off. Like it was a semi-autobiographical. Like mm-hmm. what the Blair Witch was to horror movies, like they tried doing the same thing by going back and saying there's a real-life basis for the Fantastic Four in this family, and it, it read really well, but that's not the one I'm going to recommend, even though you should totally check it out. I'm talking about Thing Night Falls on Yancey Street, which is a a love story with Ben Grimm and I believe the woman that he was dating before he met Alicia, and it's like him going uh, pound for pound against the uh, Frightful Four, uh, and then at the end of it, it like, ends in nothing but heartbreak for him. So it's like, it's him almost leading up to his first encounter with Alicia, but it's like such an emotional sucker punch through the entire story. It's like nothing good happens to Ben Grimm in this one, and at the end you feel so sad for him. And it kind of harkens back to like Lee and Kirby, or Kirby's uh, characterization of him as being like a forever alone type of character. I also have, uh, for my recommendation, it's a Fantastic Four story, but it's also got that good emotional depth. Like the last story was One Month to Live, Okay. With the um, this essentially this character um, develops these powers after uh, I believe he was exposed to some kind of chemical, and he's got these great powers, but he's dying. They're killing him, and so he unofficially joins the Fantastic Four and goes on these missions. And you know from the beginning because it's called One Month to Live that he's going to was die. Was that Rick Remender? I believe Did that? so. I'm trying to. See who it was. Uh, yeah, written okay. by Rick Remender. Yeah, Steel Trap Mind, baby. There you go. I never read it, but I know a Rick Remender uh, story when I hear it. Yeah, so um, it was Toxic Waste in the name of the character. It was a banker named Dennis Sykes who gains these superpowers and an untreatable cancer. And it's basically how he makes this one month he's got left and he's got this family count. So he takes on, he basically does what most people think they would do if they got the superpowers. Mm-hmm. And just he f- joins the Avengers as far as like this giant battle, meets Spider Man, the Fantastic Four. He saves Ego, the living planet. Like, just puts his power to the test. And, you know, it ends on a downbeat, but also an uplifting downbeat, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Because you know he's going to die, but it's the sacrifice he made to get there that works. And God, I'm going to take your recommendation. Yeah. I-, I need to go back and read that because that's something I always meant to read, but then. Forgot about it almost instantly. I, and as soon here's as the it, thing: it was a throwaway. I was going through the comic book shop, and I had extra credit, and uh, like because I bought so much that they gave me like dollar shop dollars, and I saw this. And I'm like, all right, might as well use it. And I grabbed it, and I got hooked. And each issue that came out was just great because it was the average man suddenly becomes a superhero and makes his way through the MCU. But he also leaves, like, a long, poignant, like, impact. And admittedly, because it was a one-shot miniseries, he's never mentioned again. Well, he died at the end of it, didn't he? But, yeah, you know, that is never, his story is never referenced again or anything. But, I mean, the, the point is that, like, it held a lot of gravitas. And it was a very nice little one shot that was adjacent to, like, the usual Fantastic Four. Yeah. Which I think at the time, uh... It was pre their like um, going their separate ways. It was like right before they all had this that big thing where they were each doing the one, two, three, four um, mm-hmm. storyline. So uh, it was a really great 
take on a Fantastic Four story because they were the uh, you know Reed was the one that started diagnosing him and everything. All right, good, good. I'm definitely going back and reading that one. With that being said, we're going to our ah. Um, we got Spider-Man and Jay Leno, uh, One Night Only, Please Tip Your Waitress, which yeah. is the full title of this. It's a three-part backup story that was released to coincide with the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. I know this because uh, the Spider-Man is drawn with raised webs, yeah. <laughs> the way it's colored, because all Spider-Man was drawn with raised webs during this time. And if you look at the comics that tied into, all of them are Green Goblin stories. <laughs> so this one kicked off, and this was basically... Uh, Jay Leno agrees to do a commercial, but he agrees to do a commercial only if Spider-Man would do it. And he did that knowing that Spider-Man would never agree to do it. So he would just like get paid to have like a day off and yeah. hang out with the crew. But and Spider-Man has nothing else going on, so he goes ahead and like. Well, Jay Jonah with- Jameson plays the at, at this point. It's that whole dynamic that J. Jonah Jameson is aware that Peter Parker and Spider-Man have some kind of relationship. Yeah. And he's like, if you still want to have a job here, you need to go ahead and make sure that Spider-Man shows up to this commercial. Because I, I promised that I would deliver Spider-Man to that commercial. And uh, J. Jim, J. Jonah Jameson isn't a liar. Mm-hmm. He's many things, but he's not a liar. Yeah. So he strong arms Peter Parker into essentially taking this gig, and Peter Parker's like, I wish I had anything to do, something to do. In fact, there's actually, that's one of the jokes. It's like, nah, Spider-Man's too busy. I'm sure he's got a lot to do. It's like, God, it's, like, I, it's a good thing I had nothing to do it's today. Like, I have absolutely nothing to do. He just stops a crime and then swings back into it, and he's like, eh, if only this was longer, and he just <laughs> kind of swings away. And shows up at this commercial where uh, it's almost like the Jay Leno comic, like that—that's really the focus on it. Yeah, because Jay Leno—it it really is Jay Leno. It's a lot of fast talking quips that just fall flat too. A lot of in like, the moment pop culture references that like aren't even worth mentioning. Much like the Jay Leno monologues. Much, much, <laughs> just like I'm sure he dropped the Lewinsky joke in there too. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, he's dealing with these producers who want this thing happen. The, the biggest running joke is uh, this guy keeps calling him Jo. Yeah. So he's just like. All right, Dillo, and he just, just keeps this back and forth dialogue. And they're starting to film the commercial with not really an idea. Um, so he cues up these dummy cards as he puts them, uh, and they start trying to do the commercial. And then it, shit goes bad. Like there's the lights a, fall down, they light. crush the car, yeah. but Spider-Man saved him. Then and it's like in the next one. And then they're trying to figure out like it's like oh, lights have fall all the time. It happens. And he's like, I'm pretty sure these were cut. You know. I don't know a lot, but I am a superhero, uh. and I can say that these lines look like they were cut. And he's like, nah, it's fine. And then, like, these dudes bust out on set and try to kill them. And then, like, then there's the whole... They're like ninjas. Yeah. They're like ninjas chasing him. And then there's, like, back and forth. It's like... Jay Leno hops on a motorbi- motorcycle, and he's just that like... That he just ah, happened had. He's like, I have this all the time. I always got my motorcycle. And he, like, kicks through these dudes, and he's like, my best friend was Jackie Chan. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just awkward. It's like, well, are they after you or are they after me? So there's this whole back and forth to figure out who these ninjas are actually after. Um, it turns out that, spoiler, it was all set up by the people who made the commercial because really it wasn't a commercial they agreed to. It was like... A pilot for a new Survivor. Survi- yeah, like, uh, Survivor Marvel's edition or yeah, something. Yeah, like, like Surviving the Marvel Universe. Surviving the Marvels, I think. Yeah, and it's just like their take on taking a celebrity and putting him up with a superhero. And, um, so, of course, you know, once they discover that Spider-Man, like, whips everyone, 
like spider webs them up, saves the day, and he has this running thing with Jay Leno where Jay Leno where he's like, So, can I be on your show now? He's like, No, you're just gonna choke. He's like, But but if I save you, can I be on your show? He's like, Well technically I saved myself, but fine. I'll have you on my show. Mm. And he goes and he's and like he's like, Are you sure you're gonna be able to handle this? He's like, Oh man, I, I'm a superhero. I fight crime. How hard can this be? And the lights come on. It's like, how many viewers do you say we have? Eight million? <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. And he's just like, whips away. Gotta go. Then Gotta go chokes. save somebody. And Jay Long was like, I knew he was going to choke. Uh-huh. I, there's a couple interesting things about this one that I want to bring up, too. Because uh, this one does have kind of like a comedic uh, thematic tie-in to Get Craven. Because Jay and Leno makes like a joke about a gerbil. Yes. Being a bad... <laughs> Yes. superhero which that was like one of the bad guys uh from the hollywood uh crew that the rothsteins sicked on craven Actually, I, was I, the gerbil i have to do another call back to that tangled web tangled web did that too tangled web said vulture vulture's just a dead ugly bird so like, wh- why would you be scared of that why not just change your name to something like the, the gerbil just constantly throwing out so they the had gerbil. the gerbil like twice in there yeah but yeah so it's just like that's one of the things that really interests me. The second thing, and it's kind of weird that Jay Leno was the guy that did this, but I remembered specifically something that happened around this time. I went back and did some research. Around the time that this dropped, that's when Kevin Smith was going around pimping out like uh, Black Cat and Spider-Man, Evil That Men Do, and he was on Jay Leno. So I think that might have been part of the deal, because I think Ron Zimmerman wrote for The Tonight Show. That's right. So then like, just to kind of tie it in and be like, hey, watch Jay Leno. We got a big announcement type of thing. They put it there because that was part of that Spider-Man movie announcement. So that was pretty interesting from a historical perspective. Other than that, nothing else was interesting about this except the fact that Greg Capullo, once in future greatest Batman artist of all time, was like doing this in like really scratchy, like super cartoonish style that like I'm glad has evolved into what it's become now. I've got to say though, this is also one of the few times where like they... Spider-Man referenced a DC character as canon. Yeah. Which made oh, no when he sense. talked about Batman? When he's just like, you don't see other superheroes doing commercials, you don't see Batman doing... Co- oh, he does it in the next one we're going to talk about, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. That's why I mentioned it. The two Spider-Man stories he has, he it's almost like he completely forgot what universe he was playing because yep. he could have mentioned any Marvel character mm-hmm. and instead he, cl- he clicks back to Batman. Actually, no, it wasn't in the next one. It was back in The Thing when he hopped on Medusa's, like, uh, disc. The Thing hopped on Medusa's disc. He was like, oh, it's kind of like a Wonder Woman thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's like the one... So he's good about dropping just references. That's the Ron Zimmerman references going down. And, of course, you get, like, every reference that you can get in there. There's, like, Pacino and stuff like that going down. But, uh, yeah, so that was not good. But, thankfully, it was a backup story. And, thankfully, it was the shortest of this bunch. So it was very quick to go through, and it was in, like, five-page spurts. Ironically enough, though, the issues that were, the like, the the main story... We're actually good because it was the deadline number two. Deadline? Oh, deadline. Deadline was shoot. Great. You know what? That's going to be my uh, recommendation. <laughs> I'm <gonna> say deadline. <laughs> I, I've got to go with deadline. They had the cable series, which wasn't bad, but this is when uh, cable was on a mission. That was Igor Cordy was doing the art. Yeah, and he was doing the whole thing where he's here and he's setting everything up. This is when he was still trying to save his future versus. When he got more invested in the Marvel one, then it crossed in through like the middle of Bendis's Daredevil run, yeah. Daredevil thirty three, which, which is right uh, after he got his, his secret identity was revealed. Like so this he, is the one where he's like fighting Mister Hyde, 
as like Foggy Nelson's like, what's wrong with you, Matt? <laughs> like having that like good old like friend talk to him. Like it crossed over with so many good comics. It's hard not to recommend this story because it intersects with so many good things. And the only way you can get this is by reading those good comics. Yeah. So if you're going to go ahead and read this, just go ahead and take a look at those. So the recommendations for this one are going to be Deadline. Read Deadline. Definitely read Deadline. Read Brian Michael Bendis' Daredevil. I've never read Cable, but you can vouch for it. I, I can vouch that it was a pretty Igor good... Igor a great artist. No, no, it, it was a pretty... Very underappreciated. It was a pretty good take on it because it's when Cable decided to go more paramilitary. Um, this is prior to, I think, um, when they kind of... What was it? Right before... His, um, they did the 12, where then after that, pretty much Cable was focusing on... Like, he would just be a, a time traveler, but it would always be working about, like, preventing stuff happening yeah. in the present. This is one of the ones where he's still on a mission, and the artwork is phenomenal. Just mm-hmm. for the artwork alone, I could vouch for the series. Uh, the yeah. storyline... That particular issue was actually pretty good, but I remember the storyline being kind of, like, hit or miss, depending yeah. on where in the series you went. But, um... It well, was yeah, really so good. it's, like, recommendations... Pick and choose whatever it continues in and just read that, yeah. right? So, like, uh, that's it for it. And we come down to our... Oh, God. Oh, no. And this is the continuation of the Spider-Man and Jay Leno story. This is the Coyote Spider-Man Ugly moment. Sweet Charity. This is, the, this is definitely the Coyote Ugly moment. Like, this one is just kind of like you went to the bar, like, like let's say uh, the Spider-Man backup was kind of like you went to the bar and you weren't really hitting on anyone and yeah. you get turned down by all the girls. Then you have that one moment where you're like, okay, it's over, and you're heading out, and you're kind of drunk, and you get some, and then you wake up in the morning, and you're like, oh, dear God, what have I done? Yeah, that's what this, this is. This is it. But this is a, like a 60-page monster. Yeah. Like, this went on forever, to the point where I will be completely honest, like, I would, before we started recording this, I was like, yeah, it's just one issue, I'll go ahead and knock it out before Bruno gets here. And I'm like, probably a good ten pages from the end of it, and I feel like it should have ended twenty pages ago. Oh, I agree. It goes on it was, forever, with it was some of the chore. dumbest jokes I've seen, some of the worst Derek Art Robertson art I've ever seen. Derek Robertson's a good artist. What the hell is he doing on this thing? It's like Zimmerman had artistic control. He draws the worst Aunt May I've ever seen. She looks like Bars Karloff mummy. <laughs> Literally. Like he was referencing Bars Karloff's mummy for like the one thing. The one panel she's in. Ah. Uh, there was there was no redeeming this particular comic. It was really long. I really felt that the charity was that the guy drew 56 pages. Yeah. Of this damn thing. But the biggest tragedy of all was this was like a World Trade Center charity issue. Like, yeah. I'm not sure if actual proceeds of this went to World Trade Center or what, but the whole premise of this I, I was that J. Jonah Jameson was getting together like some celebrities for a celebrity auction to benefit victims of the World, World Trade, Trade Center. Center. And it just like, again, nothing but name drops the entire oh series. Oh my god, there's is- literally... Th- three pages of nothing where she just lists off yes like Betty every freaking character there's uh adam sandler and hawkeye and i was like you could have done that with one panel yeah he, no it goes down it goes on for forever al pacino robert de niro and it just it doesn't stop it's endless and that's like your first five or six pages are nothing but like these stupid quips where Jonah Jameson is talking to Peter Parker like, it's we gotta get Spider-Man in on this. It's the literally the, the exact same punchlines, almost beat for beat, but just drawn <clears throat> out and extended. 
in this one because like the other ones he only had a backup page so he, he got to the point really quick this whole there's a staff meeting and it's like i'm having an event and i'm gonna go ahead and need you to get spider-man didn't even reference that he did it before and it's like well spider-man showed up the last time you asked him to but like just completely dug into him and then just berated peter parker like he went from being like that grumpy uncle J. Jonah Jameson to just literally being like, if Peter socked him in the face, that would have made a better story. Yeah. Because he was just like berating Peter. And like the worst part is like, you had a thought, and then he's like, you know what would be great if everyone in the room was thinking that thought, and then J. Jonah Jameson said it too. Which is exactly what happened. Which is five times. Like, yeah, <laughs> five times. It's like, you know that was too much. That was too much. That was too much. Yeah, that was too much. Like, and then Peter Parker turns around, just so you know, that was too much. And he was just like, I know it was too much. <laughs> like, that was the running joke for freaking five times he did that nonsense. That, not just the too much thing. It was, like, several separate jokes that did that three-word balloon thing. Yeah. And it was the overuse of the word balloons. And then there's one really awkward use of the word balloon where Spider-Man is standing up there for the auction. He's just like, you know what? If I just grab Thor's hammer and smash myself in the head, I forget about it. And he says that in a thought bubble. But there's a second thought bubble that comes out that has a cartoon Spidey smashing himself in the head with Thor's hammer. And I'm like, this is this is really redundant. They probably could have just gotten away with just doing one or the other. Yeah. And it would have still kind of sucked. But honestly, it would have had a better impact with it. Yeah, I mean, he was just... Honestly, just digging into Peter, was like, you kind of wonder, like... How much money can you get paid? Like, are there, are there no other newspapers? Because if this is just one meeting, because the whole thing is like, you're lucky to even be here. We don't usually even invite Shutterbugs into our big meeting. Oh, by the way, the only reason you're here is because we need you to get Spider-Man and sign up for the event. Even though I hate Spider-Man and want nothing to do with him, but this is for charity, damn it. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Now, Bruno, we've talked enough about the first five pages. <laughs> this is five pages. It doesn't get better. Let's go on. To Make what's it stop. This. this is this was it burned reading this. Like I take pee breaks and I I feel like I had syphilis. This is how bad it burned. I feel like this issue should have been sold as a prescription. Yeah, penicillin. <laughs> just, just take two of these. Got this on your dick hole. <laughs> <laughs> Got a cotton swab to pop in there just to send off to the lab. Be like, listen, I I read a. I write Spider-Man Sweet Charity. I think I got something. <laughs> but uh, then when we get into this, this is like some of the worst characterization of the Scorpion as well, which before, Scorpion's always been kind of a tragic character, like very sympathetic in the fact that he never really wanted to be a bad guy. It was more J. Jonah Jameson created him as a bad guy. So he finds out that Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson are going to be uh, auctioned off for this thing, and he's like super excited about it, but the Scorpion has anger issues. And to show how angry he is at the fact that J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man are going to be in the same spot, he puts his head through a brick wall. Cinder block. Really cartoony, out of nowhere. And meanwhile, while this is going on, we've got our friend Al and Timber just having sex and being like, oh, we're going to go to the celebrity auction and we're going to make it so Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson have to be together. Ha <laughs> ha, all right, high five, let's high fuck. Five. <laughs> all right, I, I got to throw in a couple things. There's also... Right after the five-page thing, the most useless, and this could have been cut. Oh, you talk about the Fantastic Four? The Fantastic Four cameo. Why? More bad Ben Grimm. Like, just uh, just awful. It's like Spider-Man swings away, being like, do I really have to do this? 
and he runs into the freaking human torch and Ben Grimm, who have nothing better to do than just ride around rooftops with yeah. a car and just park it. And Ben Grimm's just like, yo, what's up, Webs? How you doing? How you doing? Hey, you're doing this. You're doing this, right? You're doing, you're doing this, this. You, you piece of shit. You're, you're doing, doing this. this. Like, he's bullying Spider-Man into it. And then when Spider-Man's like, yeah, it's okay, Ben, he's like, ah, ah. You're doing it. Or a thing. You're like, it's okay. I'll oh, yeah. do it. Thing. Yeah. What am I? Ben Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. Ben. Yeah. Mr. Grimm. Mr. Grimm. That's, That's the it. one. Bye, Webs. <laughs> <laughs> so, think of that. By the way, I, I have to point out that when I saw this... Like the, the it's setup. really bad art. It's first so of bad. All. I thought it was Venom at first what, until the I think no 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 the the next scene where freaking Scorpion is powered right when he oh hears because the news. that's like Eddie Brock's famous Eddie, Eddie Brock's famous thing. He's wearing black. He's and, always pumping like these giant uh, weights. The only reason that you know it's the Scorpion. He's got like the green. He's got the green suit in there, which is actually really funny because due to the characterization. Scorpion couldn't take the costume off. Yeah. He was stuck in the costume the whole time. Him and the Rhino both have that problem. They never take the costume off. That's why he hates Jameson. He can't take the costume mm-hmm. off. Not only that, but when he's in costume, he's got fangs. Outside of costume, he looked like Eddie Brock, just angry. Yeah. Like, like, and this is Eddie Brock we're talking about, like, lethal protector full of steroids. Mm-hmm. Now... Kinda, it's almost like they started off with an Eddie Brock story, then they decided not to do well, it. Like decided, and like, then they just put the scorpion thing hanging there, and they're like, you know I, what, let's I, have I, I just, Scott Campbell make a good cover. I just feel like it was like, uh, Zimmerman, you're not getting Venom. <laughs> no. 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 we got plans for him. No, you got you got nothing. You could take this guy who was in a different costume drawn by John Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like a minute before that. And then we're going to put you back in your old retro costume, which you haven't even used. For, I mean, this one is like, he didn't even have the acid spit. <laughs> He yeah. had like the tail was just like the old spike that he yeah. had. He hadn't used. He that. like he can go rock climbing with that thing. That's it. That's it. Like bef- whereas like at this point, I'm pretty sure that he was at the point where it was is actually shot out acid and like that spike was secondary. You know, like the '90s Spider-Man. Yeah, start. like this. Like yeah, like the TV series. So it was just all right, kind of last minute thrown together. Here's an angry dude. I'm gonna put his head to a freaking wall. Oh my god, I'm gonna go get them. And, and it's the most over-the-top, every time you see Scorpion, it's played as the most over-the-top cartoonishness. Again, like, I get the feeling he's trying to channel Garth Ennis with a lot of stuff, and it is falling flat. Can we also point out the fact that he knew where they were going to be and didn't attack them at the charity? Yeah, no, he's hanging out with fucking Yogi Bear. <laughs> he somehow <laughs> the finds... Simpsons? He, he somehow, finds the Simpsons? He finds out that, well, <laughs> spoiler, at the auction that also went on too long, which, by the way... I had forgotten that at this point, Aunt May was in on the Spider-Man thing. Because immediately after the Scorpion reveal, and the Timby, like, let's go get them, let's have sex. Let's have sex and watch J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man just disagree with each other on Some TV. couples just got their own that rocks, That is a though. weird kink. <laughs> no, then it gets to, like, Peter Parker having a powwow with Aunt May in the kitchen. Also needed, could be cut. Because I didn't even remember that at this particular time, she was in on his whole Spider-Man identity. And I still question whether or not she actually was, or just bad characterization yeah. on the part of freaking Zimmerman. Because I honestly remember the only time in the Amazing Spider-Man lineage where she was in on his secret was when she walked in on him, and he was beaten up, and he was still <laughs> in costume. And it was kind of always known that she knew, but she didn't tell him. Mm-hmm. And that was shortly led up to like him back in black, because then she got shot. Yeah. she was in on it. So I don't think that this happened during that time. No, it did happen during that time period. Because this is when the uh, the movie came out. This is a tie-in to the movie. 
This is after World Trade Center, which means that before that, remember at the end of JMS's first six issues, that's when Aunt May finds Spider-Man's You're stuff. Right. Okay. And that's before the World Trade I, Center I, issue. I really thought that this was after, but okay. Yeah, so All that... Right. I, that, I, I understand why you think it's after because JMS took a while getting back to it because I, I think there was just some stuff going on with him personally with World Tra- at Trade Center that kind of like I mean, that, threw his schedule. That, that was definitely a tough time. But she looks like the freaking Crypt Keeper. It was yeah, awful. I told you. That's it's fucking just, Bars Karloff mummy. That, <laughs> that is it. It's so... It is bad. But we have not even covered the plot of the story yet. No, we have it. And the worst part is also Jay Leno. Like, oh, he's in there too. He took such a hit Every one of his... He's like the crimson chin from Fairly Freaking Odd yeah. Parents. It's like 90% chin and like 20% like Botox cheese. Yes. Yeah. He's um, hiding nuts. Right? <laughs> he really does. He looks like he's just... <laughs> like, yeah, I'll just go ahead and take these acorns. His nah. face has like three testicles on yeah. it. It's awful. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And there we go again with the freaking hammer. He cuts to it again, using the same gag again. Yeah, Bruno's Bruno's kind of going through and looking at the art after we just explained it because he's like he's kind of in shock right now that like I'm talking about shit that he forgot about. I read so this. He's going I, I read this a week ago. <laughs> I read this a week ago, and you were half so asleep. Long. You just wanted it to be over, and I was like ready for this to be over, and I didn't pay attention to just how bad it got because again we haven't gotten to the story yet all of this is just precursor to the big thing which is spider-man j jones jameson are put together because al and timby go ahead and pay for them to go on this trip together and like the whole thing's televised it's a daily beagle exclusive and like i said al and timby are just having sex and watching <laughs> j jones jameson and spider-man like fight each other but scorpion is out there too Doing nothing but eating beans and just like and sit. talking about Popeye. Somehow like, he found out about Popeye for three pages while fighting wolves. See here, I found first off, I found that a little bit funny, but it did carry on for too long. It went too long. It went way too long. And he's just like, and at the end of it, it like kind of ended on a fart joke. It was like, man, I need a match. Where he's just like eating this, st- like eat. Like a hobo pops open a can of beans with his tail, eats it, and he's like, these are like my spinach for Popeye. Oh my god. Four, three pages. And then after that, the next time you see him, he walks into uh, this family that looks suspiciously like uh, a certain Fox family, The Simpsons. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, I, they were, is The Simpsons. He scares play, them away. But they're drawn like regular people. Yeah. But you can clearly tell it's The Simpsons. But yet, there's nothing about them that makes them The Simpsons other than like the Marge hairdo. And like the boys got spiky hair and the bald father. That's it. That's all that is. Yep. Why would they be out in the woods? We don't know. And then they run away. He eats their chicken. And then, and then the bear Yogi comes Bear up, comes and it's up. Yogi Bear. He's another reference. <laughs> we dropped in the middle of this. And it never ends. So he fights this bear for some fried chicken. And, like, there's even one scene where he's so mad when he sees Peter Parker, I mean, uh, Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson, that he's just like, oh, I'm going to get them. And he turns around, picks up a rock, and bites into a rock to show how friggin' pissed off he is. Like, how much he can't control himself. And then when he finally shows himself, they start getting into it, like him and Spider-Man, and then, like, J. Jonah Jameson all of a sudden is, like, cheering him on. Like, yeah, yeah, go for it. But the whole time Spider-Man's doing it, he's like, man... He's one of my most powerful villains because he's so unpredictable. His, his anger makes him really crazy. Probably my worst villain, aside from the Green Goblin. But he's definitely a number two. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. there's like nothing that shows that this guy's even at all a threat to them. No, no. Like, even when they're fighting, they're it's sitting there, very benign. He's sitting there fighting in the woods. And the worst part is, like, I'll be honest with you, what really killed me about this comic was, again, all the precursor. Because you kind of glazed over the part 
where they actually go into the woods, get video, uh, like, get video, uh, um, interviewed by some random reporter that was like, oh, this is too good of a story to pass up, and then there's this, like, weird rivalry going on between J. Jonah Jameson and Spider-Man, where they're just, like, pissing each other off, and it's like, you know what, I'm not gonna say anything, I'm not gonna say a damn thing to them, because if I don't say anything, then, Sp- then J. Jonah Jameson, who at this point has decided to write a story about how awful the web-slinger is based on his experience... He's like, I will, I'm going to write the, the best story so everybody can see what kind of piece of crap this guy is. As far as like, I'm not going to say crap to him. And, and the, the very first right. thing he And the first thing he did is like, you freaking idiotic, moronic, piece of crap, moron with a bad mustache. He just rips into, into yeah. him. And then there's the whole Peter Parker spider out of the uh, city. So he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have any food. He can't put a freaking... Even though he's got webs and he can figure out how to make a web, he can't put a tent together to save his life. God, this is bad. He eats some berries that give him because of course. Oh yeah. The fart yeah, of course. Like yeah, because this is sixty fucking pages. Of course, we're gonna have more stuff that we haven't talked about. The berries when he's just like, you know what, Jonah, I'm not eating your hot dog. I'm gonna get some berries. Then he has diarrhea, and, and, then and there's Jay like Jones diarrhea is laughing. He's like, oh yeah. It's, uh, see, if you were a camper like me, you'd know which berries you can digest. And Spider-Man's like, oh my god, what do I use for toilet paper? And he's like, leaves. Meanwhile, he's spinning a, he's like, if you were a real camper, you'd use leaves. No one packs toilet paper. And J. Jonah Jameson's like spinning toilet paper on his finger. Like, just, just it, really bad. It is bad. It, it, the way I could describe this was like, literally just watching those really awful, cheesy, like made for TV movie, like camping trips. Oh, what was that one? Uh, with, Randy Quaid, I think it was, where he goes out in the freaking woods and becomes, like, a troop master, and it's just, like, a disaster. Yeah. That kind of stupid comedy that is just falls so flat. So, I'm I'm really curious, Bruno. You know I didn't finish reading this, because it took me one hour to get, apparently, just two-thirds into this. I I could sum it up in the Can you go ahead and just give me, like, a little little taster? Tell me why were Al and Timby, do they even pay off? At the end, yes, actually, there is, there's no, not really, they, like they have a cameo where they're just like, oh, who says there's nothing good on TV? And I think that this sets up the whole thing where Al and Timby become like BFFs with Spider-Man. But there's no real major payoff. This the the short of this goes, Scorpion shows up with a grudge against both of them, gets into a fight. Spider-Man gets in a fight. J. Jonah Jameson goes, starts cheering Spider-Man on, throws Spider-Man off, mm. then. The Scorpion comes back and starts beating the crap out of Spider-Man because he was distracted by J. Jonah Jameson actually saying nice things about him. <laughs> and, then, and then J. Jonah Jameson starts criticizing him. Punch faster! Punch better! Like, and he goes through this whole thing. So they finally... He tricks the Scorpion into a cave with more yogis. And they beat the crap at him. He zips up and webs up uh, Scorpion. And they leave the... Uh, they're finally done with the whole camping weekend, and they're sitting around a dinner table with all the people talking about their experiences. Like some people went bowling with like Captain America, um, you know how their their dates went. They're again just more can't name dropping, like no actual vis- visible cameos, just name drops. And Timby and Al are there, like, how did our little experiment pay off? And he's like, well. Uh, of course, it's J. Jonah Jameson because Spider-Man is out and about. And it's like, well, 
I know he's gonna uh, that story. He's gonna hate it, but I got I got great stuff for my story, and everyone's gonna know that Spider-Man is a wussy. That's right. He is not a man's man. He doesn't belong in the woods. He couldn't make it one weekend with strong, good old J. Jonah Jameson. And then, and they're like, "Oh, is that so?" And one of the people that's sitting there just like, "Look," and <laughs> Spider-Man webs up a big billboard-like sign that says J. Jonah Jameson cries in his sleep like a little girl <laughs> and then webs jameson to the chair as he swings away and that's literally the end of it it has no punch off no punchline, no payoff it's literally just a really bad movie with an awful ending that goes nowhere now here's here's the really fun thing um when you got here and i was kind of like wanting to finish this up you told me you know what you could just look at the pictures and you'll get the entire story everything you just said was exactly what i thought happened just because there is nothing that these words add to this no they, the words actually whatsoever this could have been an issue of like nuff said and it would have made perfect you would have still wouldn't have been bad it still would have been bad it would have been bad but you because you still have that picture of like scorpion putting his head through a brick wall and biting into a rock fighting yogi bear in the simpsons like getting beat up by bears spider-man's perfectly okay with watching like a supervillain get mauled by bears yep um i'm trying to figure out who some of the characters at the end were around the table like this looks like uh the ultimate wasp ultimate janet van dyne it could but is it, hanging here but that's not ultimate universe that's what i'm saying like it doesn't so it's like you're looking and trying to figure out who these celebrities are but it doesn't look like it's going to pay off for me right like, now. So the one that thing, being said, the one thing I will say is apparently Zimmerman has some. That's kind Zimmerman. Of, He's yes. in here. I was going to say <laughs> Zimmerman has some kind of crush on Scott Bayo because it's the second time that he's referenced Scott Bayo. Yeah. Because Scott Bayo is clearly drawn here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of the panels, Scott Bayo is like, Scott, uh, what'd you end up doing? And he's like, Oh, yeah, uh, I went ahead and had golf with the thing. Did you and the vision? Did you know that the thing cheats? And the vision, cold as a freezer. That was it. That's all. Yeah. Just I right tried up. fucking him. <laughs> he was such a dead leg. <laughs> like, oh but yeah, if you look at the, the page that says, J. Jonah Jameson cries sleep like a little girl, it is clearly Ron Zimmerman pointing and laughing at him. I think he's and pointing then, and laughing at the readers who read this. He crap. probably is. <laughs> he's pointing straight past J. Jonah like, yeah. Hey, y'all read this shit. You and made it here. I think this is Howard Stern just kind of like creeping out the side here. And that's yeah, it. I, I could see that. I, so at the end here, this... God, oh my God, this this burned. My this eyes burned are burning so from looking over this a second time. I can't believe I read this stuff. But you know what? That's part part of what we cursed ourselves to when we started this up. So that, that's fair. If this be our destiny, this be it. So, leaving on a positive note, what would be a good recommendation to read aside from Sweet Charity? If you were to substitute this with anything. I would say the new Amer- uh, Amazing Spider-Man storyline. I think it's really good. If you want the comedic element, his roommate is the Boomerang, who, after all this nonsense with... Uh, Superior foes of Spider-Man? With, well... Uh, also, a Secret Empire, I think yeah, is what you're... With, with, after a Secret Empire, he somehow got like a reprieve and a pardon. <clears throat> and now that, spoiler, uh, Kingpin is the mayor of New York City, um, he pardoned all these villains. So, Boomerang basically got a new lease on life, and moved into an apartment with Peter Parker. Now, Peter Parker knows he's Boomerang. Boomerang has no idea 
who uh, Peter Parker is. And there's one issue. I don't remember the number. There's some really good like bar with no name stuff. That's the one. That's the one. They go to bar. They go to bar no name, and there's like a two issue storyline where he goes in and he introduces because uh, he wants to. Uh, Peter then knows they play a lot of trivia. Stuff. Peter knows a lot of stuff, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you're smart, so I'm going to take you out." And he's like. We're playing tonight, and it's a trivia at the bar with no name. Theme with superheroes. The theme, no, no, it's not superheroes. The theme is Spider-Man. The theme he is took, Spider-Man. He took him to Spider-Man night because who else but the guy that... And of course, they get super, like, suspicious when they, he answers, like, the Will of the Wisp question. He like, Will the Wisp? What? <laughs> and he answers every question right, and he's winning, but he forgets that he's in a bar with supervillains yeah. who aren't happy that they're t- he's taking them for all their money. Mm-hmm. And he introduces them as a villain. With the power to like wipe someone's mind and leave them like a vegetable, so they're all afraid what was of it. Him. The answer was the one that was. It was the answer was the one that was asking the questions. Yeah, and but they they gave Peter Parker. I forgot what his villain name was, but the idea was that he was such a powerful villain that he didn't need a costume. Yep. He would just like wipe your mind. So everyone's like, "Wait, is that really a thing?" <laughs> <laughs> it was such great on point. And so much, so many cameos. Nick Spencer's so good at writing comedic dialogue. Sometimes I think with that series, he goes a little bit overboard yeah. with certain things. But it, as a total, like it's a really decent balance, if a little bit too goofy. And but it's so good. Well, if you want, as a, a counterpoint to that, is the new current storyline, Absolute <clears throat> Carnage, which is just phenomenal. Even though it's about midway through at this point, but such a great uh, start off and already referencing things that happened before like the aftermath of the red goblin which Mm -hmm. is great so i would definitely recommend amazing spider-man up to and hopefully absolute carnage will have the payoff that we think it will with story that actually goes somewhere but right now so far the first issue and some of the spinoffs have come off and i'm like i can't wait to see where it's gonna go from yeah well my recommendation is if you want to see a spider-man comic that has jokes that fail but fail well uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 20, Paul Jenkins' first issue, where Spider-Man, at this time, he's trying to get over the apparent death of Mary Jane, and so he decides to do something that he's wanted to do for a very long time, and he tries stand-up comedy. Oh, God. <laughs> Paul Jenkins' that. first issue. It's I such an underrated run. One. <laughs> and, like, he's the guy that brought you typeface. <laughs> he's the guy that brought you, like, Dr. Octopus with a pet octopus. <laughs> like, you couldn't take anything serious in Paul Jenkins' run, but it was very focused on Peter Parker, and that was, like, a perfect way to start off was him doing comedy and just, like, doing his best with it and just not doing so well. So those are the recommendations we have right there. And with that, we wrap up. Our one-shot uh, rundown of Ron Zimmerman going from, oh, right, to, oh, no. I, I have to point out the irony that the best of his stories is called the double shot, which is what you want when you get to the last story Fucking, is I'm a double craving, shot. I'm, cra- I, I'm craving it. <laughs> oh, get craving. <laughs> I'm getting craving a double shot. <laughs> With that said, uh, we have one more episode left in our Ron Zimmerman rundown. And this one, I honestly don't remember ever reading this. Uh, we saved this one to last, even though it's not canonically the last one, because this actually ties into a whole nother, like, just wheel of awful that rolls through it. And this is uh, Ultimate Adventures. It says, uh, part of the Marvel You Decide initiative, where when Peter David's Captain Marvel was having low sales, uh, Bill Jameis wanted to cancel it, like yeah. he always does. Yeah. <laughs> And then Peter David was, like, accusing them of not, uh, what was it, like, uh, promoting it well yeah. enough. So then they decided, like, you know what, we're all going to throw down. So Joe Casada got Ron Zimmerman, because Joe Casada's like, 
Ron Zimmerman was his boy at this time. Mm-hmm. Like he had him doing everything. So he created an original, it was the first uh, series to feature original characters in yeah. the Ultimate Universe, uh, drawn by uh, Duncan Fergredo, which is one of my favorite artists of this era. And that also includes uh, the infamous Marvel, which kind of like combos into some other things right there. So we're going to okay. be getting into that, which will also kick off our You Decide and the epic line that we're going to be getting into next. So uh, we're... We're, we're on the road to trouble right yeah. now <laughs> in more ways than one. So I want you guys to go ahead, uh, read up, next one, six issues, Ultimate Adventures. We'll be here. My name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And you've just been listening to... Oh, God, it burns! So in the meantime, guys, good night. And Feliz Navidad.